In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's gospel contrasts the extravagant forgiveness of a king with a servant who refused to forgive. <clears throat> the king represents God. The debt the king forgave represents our sin, which is an unpayable amount. The 10,000 talents are probably something like 10 plus million dollars in today's money. The king forgave the debt as God forgives our sins freely in Christ. But the servant was not a good steward of the grace he had received. He did not forgive a fellow servant whose debt probably amounted to a few thousand dollars. The story is a warning. The king revoked the servant's forgiveness and added to the previous sentence a bit of torture. The conclusion is best given in Jesus' own words. So shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Our gospel thus illustrates both forgiveness and mercy on the one hand and judgment on the other. <clears throat> there is an ancient heresy called Marcionism, that's Marcion after, after a guy named Marcion, spelled with a C, not like with a T, like the space aliens, Marcionism. Marcion taught that the God of the Old Testament who judged people for sin was different from the loving God of the New Testament. This heresy can only be sustained by doing what Thomas Jefferson did, which is to cut out of the Bible the parts that don't fit into our understanding. Today's gospel would be a necessary edit. In fact, forgiveness makes no sense without judgment. The Old Testament does indeed highlight the righteous judgment of God. This is the necessary introduction to the salvation from that judgment that is provided by the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We get in an accurate view of God if we emphasize his love and mercy apart from his holiness and righteousness. Just as we get in an accurate view of God if we emphasize his judgment on sin without a corresponding emphasis on his grace and his forgiveness. The gospel illustrates the freedom with which God bestows his mercy and forgiveness. But the promise of forgiveness, of salvation in the New Testament comes with a consistent caveat. To live in the grace of God, to hold on to the forgiveness we have received, we must freely bestow upon each other that same grace and forgiveness. We can draw a parallel between the gospel and our own experience in worship. We come to the altar of God again and again and ask for mercy for our unpayable debt. Every time we come, we experience again the same extravagant grace of forgiveness. In the words of Ephesians chapter 2, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. 
and raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. We then leave the altar, having experienced that extravagant grace, with a charge to become conveyors of grace as well as recipients. And this reflects the commandment of Jesus at the Last Supper, where he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The sign of being a true disciple, according to Jesus, is not using a certain Christian vocabulary or wearing a Christian symbol somewhere in our clothing. The true sign of our discipleship is that we give to each other the same extravagant forgiveness and grace that God has given to us. If people see this grace in our communal life, they will know that we are disciples. If they don't, they will have reason to question our faith, see the servant in the gospel. The gospel thus reveals that the new commandment is a commandment, not a suggestion. In support of the new commandment, Jesus put a conditional forgiveness clause into the Lord's Prayer. We pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This means that if we're not forgiving our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, in our families, wherever we see them in the world, then we're actually asking God not to forgive us. This is the reason that communion requires us to be in love and charity with our neighbors. Relational reconciliation is essential to authentic faith. We have trouble forgiving when we think of forgiveness as merely a concept or a teaching. In fact, forgiveness is an emotional and relational process. We can easily grasp in our minds the great disparity between the amount the servant was forgiven and the small amount he was asked to forgive his fellow servants. We know logically that God has forgiven us way more than we will ever be asked to forgive another person. However, when a person provokes me to anger because of an offense, the angry emotion overrides the cognitive truth that I know. Emotional wounds cannot be healed by a doctrine or a concept alone. The truth must be experienced in a process of healing. Our wounds and our resulting resentments, regrets, and anger have a history. The person I am mad at now has often triggered layers of resentment that stem from past relationships with other people that I have not yet forgiven. Until grace and forgiveness touch those places, I will not be able to fully forgive now. The emotional processes of our families of origin are easily transferred into the body of Christ. And when they are activated, we forget the logical truth 
about the command to forgive. As Family Systems author Edwin Friedman observes, the emotional processes of a family have the power to override its religious values. Thus, the ability to forgive from the heart requires the healing of our own hearts. If we have experienced something painful in the past, we must face and work through that wound. Some people try to push it away and act as though it's not there, and sometimes this is presented as a Christian approach to dealing with it, but it won't work. Wounds are emotional memories. They are part of us. They represent something we wanted but did not get, or something we had but lost, or something painful that happened to us. Processing this memory means acknowledging and grieving the loss. Prayer is absolutely essential to this process. Jesus redeems our pain. He became man for us. He experienced unjust and traumatic death to save us. He identified with our loneliness and our alienation when he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Through prayer, Jesus comes into our wounds and brings our wounds into his story. Our wounds become the doorway to a new experience of healing. This is what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our experience of God's grace through our wounds gives us the power to forgive. Jesus has made our wounds part of his story and a prelude to our own resurrection. This experience gives us the power to let go of our need for retribution, to make someone else pay. We can commit judgment to Jesus. We can let go of our need for anything to be different than it is. We begin to experience the truth that God works in all things for good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. We can begin to look forward in hope rather than looking backward in regret and resentment. This is the ongoing work of forgiveness, not merely an idea to be grasped in a moment. It requires a process of prayer and communal engagement, not merely an appropriation of a mental truth in a moment of time. Our actual experience of grace will fluctuate as we are triggered back into anger. We must process the anger again through our prayer. However, as we persevere in this work of prayer, we will grow in our own experience of grace and develop a growing ability to bestow grace upon other people. We will experience a growing freedom, which is the experience of salvation. We are saved 
from our anger and from its consequences. The gospel portrays judgment as God handing over the servant to the tormentors. We can see how holding on to our anger produces the very torment that is the essence of judgment. We can see that judgment and torment are not arbitrary things handed down by God in some random way at the end. Judgment and torment are the natural consequences of our failure to embrace the message of Jesus at every level of our life and experience. For as long as we are angry at someone else and blame someone else for our unhappiness, we remain captive to those people and we keep ourselves from God's grace. This is why we should do the necessary work of forgiving each other. As Jesus said, so shall my heavenly Father do also to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother their trespasses. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.